Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. How are we? Y'all, y'all are quiet. They said don't sing, not don't talk. All right? Amen? All right. Can you, let's do this. I just want to, I want to make sure that we're, Together, let's stand to our feet. I want to read something together out of the Word of God. Actually, I want to wake each other up. Turn to the person next to you and say, neighbor. Do it, actually, yeah. Neighbor, this is the Word of God. Listen up. Turn to the person on the other side. Say, neighbor, you're my second choice. But this is the Word of the Lord. Listen up. All right, I want to read from Psalm 107. It says this. Let's read it out together out loud with one voice in one accord. This is the truth of God's word. And I want the spirit of God to settle it in our hearts today. It says this, and you say it with me. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with... Yeah, he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with with good things. Father, would you speak your word to us today? Would you give us a framework to see this truth that would change our lives? We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Go ahead and grab your seat. The title of my message today is Behold Jesus, the Better Portion. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 10. We're going to just do a bit of a Bible study today. This is more of a teaching than it is kind of a prophetic preaching I kind of preached really from the gut and with the Spirit a couple weeks ago, but I felt to loop back around here as we kind of get our Beholding Jesus series rolling to give us just a framework and some clarity on what this is all about and what Jesus is inviting us to. So if you're a Bible nerd or if you're not, I want to encourage you to open up your scripture, Luke chapter 10, get it open on your phone, your device, or your real Bible, whatever you have, and today's a great day to take notes. I promise you we're probably, unless the Lord like changes plans, you're probably not going to be weeping on the floor, but this is going to be some stuff that you just need to know so that you can see the world and see yourself through the lens that Jesus wants you to see it through. And so I want us to look today at Luke chapter 10 as we continue our Beholding Jesus series. For those of you who missed it a few weeks ago, we launched into this season and this series we're calling Beholding Jesus. And we felt like the Spirit of God was leading us as a church to just make a decision of focus. It's not that there are bad things in and of of themselves that we have been focusing on, but we felt like Jesus was trying to get us to pull away from maybe the, the worries and the troubles and the cares and concerns of life that are just exponentially in your face right now. Anyone? And to come in and intentionally set ourselves before Jesus and focus in on Him, to consider Him, to think about Him. We really felt like the Spirit of God was saying that to us as a church. And I actually believe that God is saying that to the church in the West in this hour. Like, it's time for the church to stop trying to be politicians and policymakers and epidemiologists and vaccine engineers and doctors. Let's just stay in our lane and do Jesus really well. Amen? And so I'm excited to jump into this series. Yeah, come on, Bradford. I'm excited to jump into this series. We're taking our cue from the Apostle Paul, who wrote a letter to the church in Corinth. And Corinth was a hot mess of infidelity and human sexual confusion and family issues and marriage issues and political issues and ideological issues. It sounded a lot like the times we live in. 
And Paul said, look, when I came to you, I just chose to know nothing else except Christ and him crucified. And so for the next, like, season, we're just going to consider Jesus. But I want today to look one more time at Luke chapter 10 and this story about Mary and Martha because it provides for us a lens in which we need to kind of see Jesus, see ourselves, and see the lives we're living in the world we're living and moving in. And it's a really helpful picture for us that I think we need to get before we go on and start looking at just the individual attributes of Jesus. We're going to jump into that next week. But today I want us to look at who Jesus is, what he's offering us, and what he's kind of calling us to come out of. And this story we find in Luke chapter 10 probably does it better than any I can think of in contrasting two ways to live our lives and what Jesus is inviting us to. It tells us in Luke chapter 10 the story of two sisters. This is a tale of two sisters, a sister named Martha and a sister named Mary. And we find out this. Luke, the master storyteller, tells us that as Jesus and his disciples entered a village, this village was called Bethany, which, fun fact, kind of goes with the theme today. Bethany means house of bread. It tells us that a woman named Martha welcomed Jesus into her house. Talk about stress when you got Jesus coming over. Who you got coming over for company today? Oh, just the creator of the universe? Did you vacuum? Like, can you imagine? And she, she had a sister called Mary. So there's these two sisters. Jesus comes to their house, and Mary decided to sit at the Lord's feet and listen to his teaching. While this was going on, Martha was busy working with preparations, cooking in the kitchen, doing all this work, and she was distracted, it says, with much serving. So start to paint the picture. This is a real story, real place, real time, real people, real details. It says she went up to Jesus. She obviously hit some kind of wall. And she went up to Jesus and she said, Lord, Jesus, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Help! Tell her to help me. But the Lord said, Martha, Martha, which is like a term of endearment, affection, patience, care. He said, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen that one thing, the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the picture I want us to kind of unplug today and kind of look at and get our framework as we move forward. There's some things we need to see that are true in this story and that are true about our lives. For those of you who are note takers, I'm going to give you my three points up front. This is, this is the best ever, right? You're going to get your points. You can even leave after I tell you. No, don't leave just yet. Three points. Here it is. Here's what I want you to see today, and I think the text is trying to get you to see. And here, here they are. A common pursuit, a critical problem, and a confounding promise. A common pursuit, a critical problem, and a confounding promise. Let's set the table, and let's look at the common pursuit. I want you to see in the text what's going on really as Martha is cooking. There is a challenge that faces every human being. And this is the challenge of every human being, the challenge of life to find that which will satisfy and last. The challenge that every person in this room, every person watching online, every person on planet Earth, you know, from American to Afghanistan, they all have the same pursuit, the same challenge, and that is to find that which will satisfy and sustain us. This is the critical common problem we all have, and we see it playing out in Martha's life. 
So we're told that Martha has very important company coming. Now, some of you ladies who are like, you, you, you have the gift of hospitality, perhaps. Or you, like are, you pride yourself on being able to entertain people. You're very good at having people come over. Those, those people are such a gift, especially when you get to visit their home. And I have a suspicion that that's what Martha was like. Martha, we actually find out multiple places in the Gospels that she welcomed people into her home and she cared for them, fed them, took care of them. So Martha is like one of those ladies who just has the gift of like baking and cooking and homemaking and caring for people. That's her lane. That's what she's good at. She had formed an entire identity on that. It was her house they came to. And it was her house. She got word. I imagine like, she got a text early in the morning. Hey, Mary or Martha, we're coming. And uh, Jesus is coming and the whole entourage. Get ready, get ready, get ready. And so she got up early that morning and she starts making plans. She vacuums. She cleans the house. She cleans up the toys. She hides all the, all the trash. And she gets everything just so. And then she starts baking. And she's making those, those muffins, those perfect, like, pumpkin chocolate chip muffins because it's October and there's a little bit of bite in the air and so you got to get the pumpkin spice out, right? And she's got the whole plan. She's calling it Muffins for Messiah, hashtag on Pinterest, right? She's making that crumble for Christ, hashtag. She's putting it all out there, like getting ready. She's just like, she's got the pumpkin on the table and she's got the candles and the, is it a doily? Is that, is that a thing? I don't know, but it's, and she already posts it on Twitter. She's got it. She does like four pictures. She gets that depth of focus thing to make it look just so. I mean, she's on her grind. She's doing it. And then they show up and there's not 20 of them. There's 40 of them. And she's by herself, and of course, they all just come riding in. They go right to the living room, leaving her alone to do all the cooking. There's not enough food. There's not enough time. There's not enough hands, but she's going to give it the good old college try. And she starts working and cooking, and she's stirring stuff, and she's got stuff in the oven, and she's like juggling plates, and she's got all the things she's doing just perfectly, and then she starts to lose the battle. The muffins are on fire. The crumble doesn't crumble. And all those details and those plans and those goals that she had in her mind are starting to slip away. Have you ever been in a moment where, like, despite your best efforts and the clarity of your goals, it just seems to start falling farther and farther out of reach? You ever been in that, like, helpless moment? This is what's happening to Martha. She's getting stressed and just struggle. The struggle is real, and she's becoming troubled and anxious distracted with much serving. In other words, there were too many details for her to handle by herself. She's becoming overwhelmed with all of the details that she's got to deal with. And so she's getting frustrated to the point at which she comes out and she says, can you tell my stupid freeloading sister to get up off her butt and come help me, please? My, my translation. That's the, uh, the, the Brent Ingersoll version translation. She's struggling. Martha is struggling. And we get a window into her personality a little bit. And let's just enjoy Martha at a distance for a minute before we apply it to ourselves. Martha is a people pleaser. And so what is simultaneously happening is as she is trying to set the table and prepare a meal for Jesus and his followers to serve them, she is also trying to feed herself the validation and identity that she built up over time. She's, like, her identity is tied. Don't miss the contrast. To the degree in her mind that she's able to effectively serve them is how she effectively serves herself. You see, her meeting their hunger for food was one of the ways, one of the primary ways Martha met her hunger for validation. 
her hunger for identity, for a place. This is how she saw herself. It was her house. She was responsible. She was the one to take care of it. And as she was not able to provide them the meal that she wanted to give them simultaneously, she was not able to provide the meal for herself that her soul was so hungry for. Are you catching it? Are you seeing the contrast? That even as she's trying to feed them, her soul is starving and she's seeing a growing deficit between what she'd hoped to receive and what was actually happening. Don't miss that. You've been in a moment like this. Every human being, every human being on planet Earth, this is the struggle we all have. Every one of us have soul cravings deep inside of us, and we all, through life, we figure out ways to try our very best to meet those soul-level cravings, those needs deep inside of us. And we all do it different ways, de depending on the personality and the skill set and the life that we live. We all have a different way about it, but make no mistake, we're all trying to fill our plate and feed our hungers. That's ultimately what we're doing in this life. Every single person you know ultimately is driven by appetites and hungers. Don't make a mistake for it. Like you, you look at somebody, maybe somebody's here today, and you actually literally struggle with food. You, you overeat, you, you like just eat, and you can't quite get a hold of it. Well, it's not the carbohydrates that you are longing for to make you overeat, is it? It's that sense of control and the ease of which you can go to the cupboard and get that thing you want. You are using chips to feed the hunger in your soul for security and safety and comfort. You see? Or, or maybe you don't struggle with food. Maybe you are, you are addicted to success. You've got to be the one who wins. You've got to be the one who climbs the corporate ladder, who wins the vote, who gets the public opinion, whatever it is. And you are using those means to feed a soul-level craving for meaning, purpose. I, I, I know I need to matter. And so you are trying to fill your plate. Every human being is trying to fill their plate to satisfy their deep cravings. Some people, maybe, maybe Martha isn't so much a people pleaser. Maybe she's more like my wife and I. Like for us, our home, because we live a pretty chaotic life, my wife's a, a, a nurse and she works here on the staff with me. My job's pretty demanding. And so when we go home, it's like a safe space that just needs to be as much as it's possible with three, three pets and three kids to just be like a peaceful place. And maybe Martha, it was more like she was thrown off by having all the foot traffic in her home. She's one of those, everything needs to be just so, people. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Don't move my stuff. That person, like Bilbo Baggins. Any Hobbit fans? He's freaking out because all the dwarfs are throwing his plates around and making a mess of his house, and he has it just like he likes it. Well, people who, are, who control their circumstance, it's not that they want a plate full of control. They're trying to feed their soul with some sense of stability and peace. Do you see how the things that you do in your life, the, the things that we chase, the pursuits that we have, the goals that we envision— ultimately are just the way we are feeding our soul on a deeper craving at a deeper level. This is the reality for people who, who are addicted to substances. Maybe it's not food. Maybe it's alcohol. What are you doing with that? You are feeding your hunger in your soul to escape. That's what you're doing with addictions, with substance addictions. It's, you, are, you are trying to feed the longing in your soul to be free, ironically binding yourself to a substance. We all have a plate that we try to keep full. 
We all have needs that, we, that drive us. In fact, a, a real brilliant guy, I love this, I, I think about this a lot. A guy in 1943 na- named Abraham Maslow, and some of you know this from school, maybe you don't, but he published this in, a, in an American psychological journal that, that called The Hierarchy of Human Needs. And he basically posited that every human being on planet Earth, and I think, I think this holds true even almost 60 years later, this holds true, or, uh, more than that, 80 years later, That every human being is ultimately motivated by these same basic things. Now, it looks different in different cultures and in different lives, but in actual effect, people are primarily motivated to meet their kind of physical needs. So baseline, if your need for shelter, your need for food, for oxygen, for water, those are the most basic human needs. And if we come to a moment in our culture where all of a sudden food is scarce, where it's not safe to go outside literally because there's violence coming at you, all of a sudden that becomes the most pressing reality. This is the thing that ultimately drives everybody. But us in the West, we are so blessed and so rich that a lot of the time we are just, we live life blissfully unaware of our deep need for physiological safety, for food, for shelter, for warmth. Those are the most basic drives that all of us have. But then Maslow said it it shifts into this upper half that once you have your physiological, physical needs looked after, then there is needs for community, to have a place, to have some identity. This is where identity and your spiritual and emotional and relational needs start taking shape. That says relational, just so you know. And we start to be motivated by community. How many know that community is actually more powerful than individuality? It is. We're driven by community. Even, I always get a kick out of bikers. If you're a biker here, sorry, not sorry. But like the, the, the powerful drive to be in community that even the outlaws and the outsiders still have to form together. Hey, man, where'd you get your chaps? Right? Like... I, I just think I got a kick out of it. Anyway, don't hurt me. <laughs> and then we, we move from community to this longing for accomplishment, this longing to matter, to win, to climb. And then it goes ultimately to, to this idea of meaning. And we actually know, and, and Maslow even talked about it, was the need for transcendence. That it's actually possible to climb so high in this life and still realize that there's, there's some God factor out there, some transcendent factor that still eludes us. It's the words of Solomon, the great Israeli king, the great Jewish king who had everything and he realized I have nothing, that it's all meaningless, all the money, all the notoriety, all the power, all the fame. I'm still void something. I need something. And this drives every single human being. And your identity ultimately has been formed in how you've had to learn how to meet those needs in your life. And basically every personality profile, we could geek out on personality profiles, the DISC DISC personality, Myers-Briggs, the Enneagram. All of those are just defining the coping and personality mechanisms that you and I have developed to try to keep our plate full, to keep our souls fed, to keep our needs met. 
That's ultimately what we're doing. So you're not that different from the person around you. If you're an anti-vaxxer and you're a vaxxer, you're not as different as you think. You're both motivated by the same things. You're just using different substances on your plate. See, we're all the same. And this is what we see with Martha. We see that she's actually trying to meet some needs to find a, a place to belong. That, that, that's her place in the group. If she can't provide the meal, then what good is she? Have you ever had your identity called into question? It's a very disordering, difficult, disrupting moment. Her, her esteem, her sense of personal identity and validation and vindication is all of a sudden being in question. And even though God is in the room, she couldn't feel farther away. That's the picture that's unfolding here. That's the challenge that you and I all face, and it leads to a great problem. And I think Mary was having, or Martha was having an existential crisis. This little text reveals the critical problem that you and I all face and that Jesus kind of talks about full stop. And here it is, the crushing weight of having to keep your plate full. That is the toil of life. It's this crushing reality that if we don't eat, we die. Anyone? That's just true. And how many of you know you need more than food for your stomach? You need food for your mind, for your personality, for your, for your identity. Your soul actually needs food. And here's what it gets tricky is that finding what truly satisfies and what truly remains is the critical problem we all face. So, and, this, and this is what I think is coming up front and center and what Jesus speaks about. Look what he says to her. He says, look, she's, she's struggling. She calls out her sister, asks for help. And then Jesus doesn't say to her maybe what she'd hoped to hear. He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. You see, what happens when our plate starts to go empty is anxiety and trouble start to rise. Have you ever noticed that? Like maybe you need to have a good portion of options to feel peace. And the moment your options start going away, what happens? Your anxiety starts going up. Right? Maybe you need to have a steady dose of likes on Instagram to feel personal worth and validation. And the moment they don't like your post, what happens? Your trouble goes up. Well, maybe I'm not valuable. See, this is what's happening for Martha. She's troubled and anxious, another translation says, worried and upset about many things. And this just puts its finger right on the struggle of being human. The struggle is this. It is so hard to find that which ultimately and truly satisfies and even harder to keep it. Have you noticed that? Let's break it down. I've noticed that it's very hard to find that which truly satisfies. Have any of you succeeded enough in life to, to figure out that the only thing more disappointing than not accomplishing your goal is accomplishing your goal and finding out it didn't do what you thought it would do. Has anybody ever experienced that? Oh, if I just get that car, that's exactly what I need. And then you get the car, you're like, meh. You know, oh, if I just have a baby, if I just, and again, having kids is a blessing, but how many of you know it can't fill the hole in your soul? If I just get married, if I just get divorced, if I just have an affair, if I just do this. And we've all chased that immediate gratification only to realize it doesn't actually satisfy. And this is how we get caught in sin. We get going to things that can't possibly satisfy God-given urges and cravings. We're like this little girl on YouTube. Have you ever seen this video? 
where like she, she thinks she's got an apple, it's an onion. And it is the cutest, funniest 60 seconds on YouTube of this stubborn little girl mowing down on an onion, not taking no for an answer. I'm going to enjoy this apple every bite. She's, her eyes are watering and she's gagging and she refuses, she, she refuses to let her mom have the satisfaction of being right that it's actually not an apple, it's an onion. I think a lot of us are like that little girl. This post is going to be the one. Right? I just need one more, one more, one more bender, one more night. We're, how, how many of us can actually identify with this little girl? Like, is that not what we do in life? A bigger house will taste so good. And it doesn't. A better job is what I need. I just need to be right. I got to get the last word on the vaccine debate. <laughs> right? It never tastes good in the end. It looks like it's going to do the trick, doesn't it? And then when you bite in, your eyes start watering and your gag reflex and your soul starts churning up. Has, am, I, am I speaking to anybody today? Have you made enough stupid posts yet to know you're biting into an onion? That's what it is. It's a struggle. It's a struggle to find that which really satisfies. They're so, those things are so rare. And here's the, here's the human condition and the bigger struggle. When you do find something that can really actually satisfy, it's even harder to keep it. How many of you notice, notice the best moments in life, the most satisfying, they're here and then they're gone? Even relationships, the most beautiful relationships have an expiry date on them. Things spoil in this life, don't they? And that's where the trouble and the anxiety comes from. It's coming. We get worried and upset because we realize this plate is limited. It's limited in its ability to satisfy me, and it's limited in its ability to last. And so anxiety and trouble and scarcity and competition and villainization starts to rise up inside of us. That's what's happening. That's what's happening right now. You know, for a lot of us in our lifetime, 2020 and 2021 is the first time that we've actually ever had to deal with maybe a dwindling sense of security, right? A, a dwindling sense of confidence in our society. And I'm seeing in the culture an increase in anxiety and in trouble and in worry, in substance abuse, in difficulty, I, did you read the stat on murder last year? It's like the highest in decades. Like things are cracking and bursting at the seams. And I, I just want to say this too. It's not a whole lot better in the church. Like maybe we're snacking on the wrong stuff. Maybe we're expecting the wrong things. Again, we're looking for policies to satisfy the need for us and to have peace. And maybe that's what Jesus is trying to point out here. See, what happens when we stop having the thing that we thought we wanted in the first place is anxiety starts to, starts to creep in. And you see Martha operating under the deficit of not having what she really wants. And so you see her getting critical. You see her being deficient and disappointed. She's struggling. She's seeing the gap between what she wants and what's actually happening. And then you see she starts to have this kind of myopic vision. Nobody's helping me. I'm all alone. Everybody's against me. 
Has anybody ever, you ever gone through something and it just becomes the lens through which you see everything? My stupid freeloader sister sitting in there at Jesus' feet. Look at her in there, abdicating her responsibility, not even helping me out in here. If she'd just get off her lazy butt, maybe we'd get something done around here. And get some, has anybody, isn't it amazing how like those traumas we come through or those struggles we come through have a way of just becoming the lens through which we see everything and everyone? And, and in that moment, her sister is now her enemy. If you could just turn her, Lord, and get her to help me, everything would be okay. She gets disconnected and divided. Everything gets distorted and deformed. And it ultimately leads to desperation and despair. Y'all, that is what we're seeing right now, isn't it? Like this, this franticness that comes from knowing what I have is not good enough and it's not lasting enough. So I need more. I need help. I need to go find more. And you're seeing it in the generations. You're seeing in boomers. You're seeing unprecedented levels of addiction, abuse, and burnout. The stats on millennials and Gen Z, it's not addiction and burnout that's the crazy one. The, the crazy one is anxiety, depression, despair, suicide, just complete resignation. That's what happens when it looks, when, when despair sets in and doesn't feel like you're going to be able to meet your ultimate needs. This is the picture that I think we need to see. Martha is worried and upset about many things. Let me ask you the question right now. Like, are you worried and upset, troubled and anxious? I want you to hear the word of the Lord this morning. Hear what Jesus is saying. Let's contrast it. You've seen what Mary, what Martha looks like. Now let's contrast and let's look at what Jesus is trying to set us up to see. The confounding promise. Behold Jesus, the source of sustained satisfaction. See, Mary, and I want you to see this in the text, Mary is positioned with Jesus. And Jesus affirms her and says, there's only actually one thing that's necessary. You are troubled by many things, but I want you to actually not make the many things your focus and make me the one thing your focus. And as you do, you will know and you will realize you have just chosen the one thing that's necessary, the better portion, and it will not be taken away. Jesus sets himself up affirming Mary in this. You, Mary, have chosen the better portion and the lasting portion. You have chosen the better portion and the lasting portion. Now, what's, what's actually going on here? I'll come back to that. What's actually going on here is Mary, now, I won't spend much time on this, but you got to catch this. There's actually some, like, sociological, cultural stuff happening with this that we might read past. See, Mary wasn't actually supposed to be in that room at all. Women weren't supposed to be in where the men were, especially when those were like holy men and disciples. Mary had jumped the social and relational barriers and decided, I don't care what it costs me. I don't care what people say about me. I don't care about anything else. Those are all secondary issues. My primary concern is I just got to get before him. Now, some of you might have heard this preached as like, the contrast between content, contemplative Christianity and workspace Christianity. You might be able to make a message about that, but there's something deeper going on here. Mary, by going into that room and sitting before Jesus, had made a declaration based on a decision she'd come to. And that is this, I am going to set my life before you. For her to be in that room, she was saying, I am a disciple too. That I'm a disciple too. 
I'm not here to entertain. I'm not here to work for you. I'm here to follow you. And she was sitting herself, immersing herself in everything he had to say. And when he got up and left, she went with him. Her life had then become about one singular priority, and that is to stay in step with Jesus. I want to think how he thinks. I want to hear what he says. I want to go where he goes. I want to do what he does. I want to not do what he tells me not to do. The doors he opens, I'm going through. The doors he closes, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to pursue him, and I'm going to occupy my entire life in that one pursuit. This is a picture of baptism. We celebrated baptism in our services today. That's why we do immersion. Why? You are being immersed into one name, one person, one thing. And your identity now becomes that one thing. This is what Mar Mary was doing, and this is what Jesus affirmed. Her life is now about this one thing. Now, why is that good news? Because Jesus sets himself up and affirms her. He didn't say, hey, Mary, you know what? Your sister's right. You do have some responsibilities you should probably get back to. He doesn't rebuke her. He actually affirms that decision. Why? Because he knows that he is the one thing that can ultimately bring meaning and life and provision and satisfaction to all of the troubles of this life. He's, he's actually the great inversion. Do you catch it? Like, while Martha is troubled about many things to try to satisfy one thing, Mary is troubling herself with one thing and will be satisfied with the many things. Do you catch it? This is a question of source. It's a question of how are you endeavoring to meet the needs of your, of your life because you have them. And Jesus affirms Mary's decision to trouble herself with following Jesus because in that one pursuit, all the other needs are met. Whereas Martha is trying to meet her deepest needs by juggling all the plates. Do you see it? You are troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Is it possible right now that Jesus is letting you juggle all the plates and try to fix things and handle things, and he's willing to let the plates fall and let the plates break so that he can just become the one thing for you? Is it possible that he could do that? I think it is. I think that's what he's doing for you and I in this, in this season and in the church. And that's the gospel. That's what Jesus tells us he is. He is the singularity. I think about it like this. I, I, I'm nerding out on Maslow today, but think about it like this. Every human being is trying to get up this hierarchy. Agreed? We're all trying to climb the ladder, deal with our physiological needs, deal with our needs of provision and protection, needs of... Uh, relationship, emotions, self-actualization, community. And then there's that big need of the transcendent, that we ultimately are going to need something just other, something outside of this human experience to bring that glory to us. And yet all of us, despite our best efforts, even the most impressive human beings, I mean, even celebrities, I mean, you follow them and you start to see, man, they're just as bankrupt as I am. Have you ever had that thought? Like, you ever hear Jim Carrey say, I wish everybody could get rich and famous to find out it's not the answer? See, everybody, where, no matter where they are on this continuum, find out there's an eternity, an infinity between what they really need and where they actually are. The Bible actually says in Romans, it says, all have sinned, and they fall, say it, short. 
you fall short. Your best efforts are just going to fall short of the glory of God. But the gospel is this, that glory came to us. That, that love, provision, safety, in the most ultimate sense, came to us. So that in our pursuits, we don't have to climb and trouble ourselves with many things. We need to make the one thing our pursuit. And as we do that, this inversion happens. Let's do, go with me here. But we find in Christ, we are invited to trust Him instead of trying to climb the ladder and realizing the futility of this. Have, have anybody ever just, have you felt exhausted lately? Jesus invites us to come to Him for Him to actually meet our needs. Like, for Him to be the transcendent glory that we long for. For Him to provide meaning that nothing on this world can. For Him to provide our purpose. For Him to give us this self-esteem that is actual, not based on temporary fleeting things. For Him to give us our well done, our validation, our vindication. For Him to invite us into the most beautiful community ever. Not just the communion of the saints, but we are invited into fellowship with God. Wow. And that he would be our ultimate safety and provision. It says Romans later, it says, If God is for me, who can be against me? How could he who, not, who didn't spare his own son for us not also along with him give us all things? In other words, Jehovah Jireh is my provider. I need not worry. He cares for birds. He'll care for me. And we can actually let go of the striving and the struggle and the worries and the, and the troubles and the anxiety of this life because all that we are looking for in the most ultimate, deepest sense has come to us in the per person of Jesus. And you and I are invited to trust him to meet your ultimate needs. It's a choice of where do you fill your plate. Are you going to go to Instagram for validation? Or are you going to go to him for validation? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Are you going to go to the bottle for satisfaction? Or are you going to go to him and taste and see that the Lord is good? That there's pleasures forevermore at his right hand? Are you going to find your joy in him? It's a question of source. This is a lens to help us see the motivations of our hearts and the reasons why we're doing what we're doing. And then ultimately either the futility or the fulfillment that comes from how we fill our plate and feed our souls. And what Jesus is saying is if you concern yourself with all the things of the world, you are going to still fall short of satisfaction. Only one thing is necessary. Come to me. Find life. Find the meaning. Find the forgiveness. Find the restoration. Find the vindication. Find the satisfaction. Find the meaning and the purpose. Find the community. Find the peace that comes from knowing I'm in his hands. This is the picture that this text paints us. And I think it's so helpful for us in our time. There's one thing that's necessary. And when you concern yourself with the one thing, it, he flows, his life flows through you. And he starts to bring meaning and life to all the many things in this life.
He is the singular source of life that brings life to everything else. Do you get it? So instead of finding ourselves with not enough, he moves us from being distorted and deformed and deluded to being a person of clarity, a person of character. He shapes us. We are like trees planted by streams of water. Our leaf is never supposed to wither. Y'all, if, if you're a Christian and you have been struggling with anxiety in this season, I think the Spirit of God is inviting you to root yourself deeper in streams of living water. That clearly you are feeding on something that is producing anxiety. Like, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Like, you judge a tree by its... So if your fruit is trouble and anxiety, your food is off. But if your food is peace, your fruit will be peace. If your food is joy, if your, fu- if your food is security in Christ, th- that will be the fruit of your life. And that's what you start to see happen as you follow Jesus, as you immerse yourself. Again, don't mistake what Mary's doing as just believing in Jesus. Martha believed in Jesus too. They both believed he was the Messiah. But one was working for him, another was living from him. Do you see the difference? And man, let me tell you, as a Christian kid, as a church kid, it is very easy to get in Martha mode, even with Jesus in your life. Has anybody ever found themselves working to get something from Jesus, to earn something from Jesus that he freely will give you? It's a deception of the enemy. It's called religion. It's called religion. Trying to convince God to give you something through your works when his son already gave it to you through his goodness. And so we're invited to live our lives from life, not for life. We're we're invited to live our lives from peace, not out there trying to find peace. From validation. Are, Are you catching it? Let me know if you're with me. Yeah, you're catching it. Okay. He changes everything. We go into fulfillment. We seek the one thing. I was in a room... I was in a room uh, a couple weeks ago having, uh, having dinner. Actually, I, I should have brought, brought it. I have a picture of the steak I ate. It was obscenely large and so much steak. But anyway, sorry, you vegans. Sorry, not sorry. Anyway, I was there and I was with a gentleman, uh, a pastor from southern Florida. He, he, he's led for decades. He's, he's semi-retired now. His son leads the church, and he's kind of just a, I guess he's just be along for the ride at this point. He, Anyway, I was with him. He's a man, I think, in his late 70s, maybe. Could be wrong on that. But he's, anyways, he's taking a grandfather mode in the church. And so he's sitting there with me and a few other, other people. And he, this guy was a great conversation starter. And, and he, he asked the question over supper. He goes, all right, I want everybody to answer this question. Like, if you had one piece of life wisdom that was handed to you, whether it's through experience or circumstance or through your father or your, your family or through whatever, if you have one piece of advice to give to somebody, to set them up for success, what would you tell them? And I'm sitting there, wow, that's a great question. And I'm sitting there thinking, you ever been put on the spot? It's hard. And, and people are sharing before me, and I'm sitting there thinking, and I get thinking about my life and what's brought real fulfillment and real meaning and real satisfaction. I think about my heritage that I come from. And it came around to me, and I, and I said this. When I look at my life, and I look at my family even, I, I start with my, my family, and my, my grandfathers on both sides were godly men. Both, both of them pursued Jesus. One was a pastor, one was a businessman. 
And both of them were successful in their fields. But more than that, they were successful in their families. And more than that, they were successful in their own personal lives. But ultimately, it came down to one thing that I had never, it was never in question in my whole upbringing, in my grandfather's lives. They were Jesus people. And I've saw, I saw it in my own home with my own parents. You know what? My parents worked hard. My mom was a full-time nurse. My dad had multiple jobs, businessman, financial planner, like, you know, like real life stuff. And yet, make no mistake, in every season there was one banner and one priority in our house. We were Jesus people. And I've seen it in my own life to the degree that I have endeavored to pursue Jesus and just sort of like set everything in its rightful place and make him my priority, it has brought me flourishing. Pursuing Jesus has brought me the life that my soul deeply wants. And to the degree that I fail to pursue him is the degree of frustration, anxiety, and trouble I walk in. And so when it came around to me, I kind of shared that and I said, I think I would boil it up, boil it down to this, to what Jesus said. Seek the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. Above all else, make the kingdom your pursuit and live righteously. Immerse yourself in following Jesus. That's what it means. Like it's not just about belief. It's about setting your life after him. Seek first the kingdom of God and live righteously. And he, the king, will give you everything you say it. Everything you need. Y'all, I can testify that is true. That is 100% true. To the degree that I have sought him first, I have been satisfied. And I run into trouble when I seek all the other things first. Anybody? Maybe this is just a simple invitation to put first things first. Jesus at no point says cooking is bad. You know, Martha, all those things are bad. No, it's just she was out of order. That's what sin is, right? Disorder. And Jesus invites her, no, you, like your sister, have got to find your place in pursuing me. And through me, I'm going to give life to your giftedness like you never imagined. That's the invitation. Let me ask you a question. I'm going to wrap up. What have you been trying to put on your plate lately? Like, what's the thing you're telling yourself, if I just had that, then we'll be okay? Okay, that's not going to do it for you. Is it control? Is it a better job? Is it a different relationship? Has somebody convinced themselves that, oh, if I just had a different spouse? Is it an experience? Is it a substance? What have you been telling yourself, if I just had this, I will be satisfied? Hear the word of the Lord today. If this one thing is not Jesus, you are being lied to. Jesus is the ultimate satisfaction. He is the one thing that can truly satisfy the deep longings of your soul. And I have tasted and seen it in my life. What is the one thing that you want on your plate? And let me ask you a a follow-up question. Maybe you don't even know what you've been thinking is on your plate. Maybe you need to look at the fruit of your life. Are you riddled with anxiety and trouble right now? I can assure you that is not the fruit of following Jesus. The fruit of following Him is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, gentleness, patience, kindness, self-control. 
What's the fruit of your life? If it's anxiety, you are worried and upset about many things and you need to trouble yourself with the one thing. Is your source Jesus? Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray for us as we, as we wrap up. Here's my prayer for you today. I'm going to speak it over you and then I'll pray. I pray for you, King's Church. I'm going to pray a distaste over onions. Do you, you know what I mean? I'm going to pray the next time you bite into something, thinking that it can satisfy, that it's not Jesus, I pray when you bite in, you're like, bleh. Like next time you go to the bottle and it, it's just like, it, it, it actually doesn't do it for you. I'm praying a distaste over the lying spirits that tell you this will satisfy your appetite. Like when C.S. Lewis once, he said, you know, your struggle with sin is not because your desires are too strong. It's because you are too easily satisfied. You are settling for onions when you were made for apples. So you and I have got to actually raise the bar. Like, so I'm talking to somebody right now who's addicted to social media. Jesus actually wants to satisfy you so much more than what those stupid likes can actually do. Like, raise the bar. You are made in the image of God and you are addicted to putting that picture just so, so somebody can go, like, that is way too cheap for you. Or the addict, you were not made to be bound. You are a slave to those things and God wants to set you free. Like the sun can actually set you really free. Raise the bar as if some hops and alcohol can really satisfy me. I'm better than that. So I'm praying to distaste. Maybe for some of you it's relationships and you're, you're running around. Maybe you're entertaining fantasies about an affair or while you're into pornography or whatever it is. Raise the bar. Your desires are too weak, not too strong. Raise the bar and remind yourself, no, I was made for apples. This is onions. I'm praying a distaste over you. And then I'm going to pray a correlating hunger for Jesus, that you would actually taste and see that he's good and you would get addicted to only what he can give you, realizing that he is the one that satisfies your deep longings and faith to look to him to meet your needs. Father, I pray right now over my brothers and sisters, I ask in Jesus' name, Lord, I just declare a raising of the bar of the standards of what we give ourselves to. Lord, Help us by your grace consolidate our efforts to not be troubled by many things, but to trouble ourselves with the one thing. To fight to trust you, to obey you, to hear you, to follow you, to stay with you, to stand with you, to lay down where you call us to lay down in green pastures. Would you help us trouble ourselves with one thing and to trust you for the many things. Father, I pray a distaste over that which cannot satisfy. And Lord, by your spirit, even right now, would you just raise up the hunger in our church? I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. amen.